Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. I'm joined today by Heather Combs, who is the CEO of a company called Straighter Line. The company's been around for a little while. We'll learn about what's going on there. We'll also talk more about how higher ed is being disrupted and how new programs are emerging. Before we get to any of that, Heather, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here today. I'm so excited to talk to you about all that we see that's going on and all that you're just coming off of from South by Southwest and, and all the companies you got to talk to there. That's right. We were supposed to meet while we were out there. This is a catch up. We always begin with guests by asking for their origin story. How did you get to this point in your professional life? Can you catch us up how you got to this point in your career? <laughs> sure. I ask myself that question a lot, too. How did I wind up here? I'm about a year in to the CEO role at Straighter Line, and I'm coming from five plus years in software development where we worked on a lot of ed tech companies, but not exclusively. Also worked yep. in the financial services industry and the media mm -hmm. industry. And then before that, I spent the bulk of my career at a company called CEB, which sold to Gartner. So it doesn't exist anymore. But it was really in the space of best practices for corporations. And I was there from the time it went public for the 13 years that followed and it went through rapid growth. And so my background is really in helping companies grow and mm. think about where they can adapt their models and right. add new products or enter new markets. Digital transformation? I think so, although we didn't call it that for yeah. so long. I would say in hindsight, uh, a lot of it really is about how do you adapt to a changing market and how do you make sure the product you're taking to market meets the buyer's need? And that is certainly the opportunity in higher education today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear from someone who is leading an organization in education who has experience outside of education. Because one of the things that is interesting to me is folks who really never learn a different model and the frameworks around software development and agile process, design thinking, user-centered design, a lot of those things are kind of bread and butter outside of education. And then within the last you know five to 10 years, you're starting to see them become more standard. Straighter Line's been around for a little while. Can you catch us up on the story of Straighter Line? Well, I think, first of all, that you're absolutely right. Being able to marry the innovation and fast-moving entrepreneurship of the business sector with the need in education and the evolving consumer base in education is really an ideal scenario. I think it it is fun. I certainly rely on the credibility of my academic counterparts to make sure that we are meeting all of the rigor and standards. But I think what's great about companies like Straighter Line or the others that are in the space that have different kinds of funding structures is that we get to move fast. We get to try out new things and we get to take them to market without the weight of your traditional four-year institution. Right, right. And then the actual work that y'all are doing, if folks aren't familiar with Straighter Line and its story, can you catch us up a bit on that? So Sherry Line's been around about 13 years. It was originally started by Burke Smith, who's fairly well known in the higher education disruption industry. He first built a company called Smart Thinking, sold it to Pearson, built Straighter Line, and is now on to his third. So expect to see great things from him ahead. 
I mean, continues to be a huge fan of Straderline and on the board. I value his partnership. But what his goal was when he started the company was to make online affordable and accessible college classes for students. And this started before that was a thing. So I happen to have five teenage daughters between the ages of 12 and 18. And I tell them regularly, there is really a time before classes could be taught online. Mm -hmm. But these kids don't know that because, of course, they came through COVID. So today, what seems absolutely possible, even wrote to them, was really a novel idea 13 years ago that you could teach a class online. And so Straighter Line was designed as a complement to colleges. You cannot graduate from Straighter Line. You take your classes and then you transfer them to the school that you're going to graduate from. So really, it was a model to allow, at the time, adult working learners a chance to take classes on nights and weekends at their own schedule mm-hmm. and then transition those courses into their degree program. So when I say affordable, I mean really affordable. Most of our students get through a class in about five weeks for 200 ish dollars. So your variations there are a little bit on how much the course is and how long it takes them to complete because there's a subscription piece of the model. But that allowed a pay-as-you-go opportunity for students to drop in, take Algebra One, transition it back into their full degree program. Today, that's really growing to be lots of different personas that work inside the Straighter Line college credit model. And we'll talk about what we've added as well. But in the college credit piece, now there are students who are accelerating their Mm -hmm. time to a degree by trying to take more classes at once. There are students trying to hashtag hack their way to a degree, which is a movement that you'll see people who are looking to get a full college degree for under $10,000. And then there are students who are there to take prereqs to get into a degree program that starts in a few months. We see a big spike in the summer right before school starts. The traditional college school starts. And then there are students who are retaking a course for grade improvement or because they dropped a course and all kinds of other sort of reasons that they come in and need one or a handful of courses to further their degree plan at that very inexpensive anytime you want to take it model. So we see students on the platform on late nights, weekends. We see them accelerate in less than a week sometimes if it's a core material they know really well. So it's asynchronous. It's 24-7. They can log in anytime they want. We have in the past talked about binge learning in different contexts, both for good and bad. Good for the binger and that you can power through stuff, but also a little tricky where, you know, by the 12th episode of Game of Thrones in a (laughs) marathon, my retention may not be as great, but there are still standards built in and... It's really interesting to think about this company being around leading into the pandemic years. And then when suddenly everyone's forced home, forced online, that must have been a seismic shift to the story of Schrader Line, because it seems like more folks probably woke up to the idea that this model makes a ton of sense. And then now, even as we're in the midst of a bit of a snapback to let's go back to the way things were. There's a good portion of folks out there, that light bulb is still blinking above their head. They're saying, wait a second, like your daughters, and again, thank you for your service, your five (laughs) daughters, they're all just assuming, well, of course, there's some way for me to a la carte and supplement 
you know, it's got to be a wild ride for the organization. Well, I think so. And I think one of the best things that happened in that space is that the entire higher education world had to accept that it was possible. So I think there were still places that they didn't believe that you could teach high quality classes and you could grade those high quality classes and you could do live proctoring to make sure that this student right. is validated when they're testing. It forced an absolute realization and acceptance of the model that accelerated so quickly adaptation. Because as we know, higher education is not the fastest moving industry out there. So I think that aspect of it really helped. But the other thing it did was change the competitive landscape pretty dramatically. The rise of the OPM model, the addition of competitors in this space. And for folks who might not know what an OPM is, can you just describe real quick? The OPM model is essentially where colleges have partnered with companies in order to bring their classes online. The way that is slightly different than, say, a straighter line option is that those classes are traditionally a lift and production online of the course that the university has already started teaching. So you start at the same time the semester starts, you end at the same time, and you mm. interact with that faculty member. Yeah. So you're taking the course online, but it is most often the same price as yep. your in-person class. And it takes the same amount of time mm -hmm. and often even the same amount of times that you have to sit for the class. So if you have a Tuesday, Thursday at 10 a.m., that is still a commitment of that class. Right. Now, the upside is those classes, because they're part of the university's degree program, students can use financial aid. So mm -hmm. you'll see that in a hybrid model fairly often these days, where in a straighter line instance, you're really looking at a pay-as-you-go model so that what you're trying to do is prevent students from needing loans or financial aid in the first place. Mm -hmm. You're really trying to keep an entirely different funding model available. And that's where I think having lots of choices for students to put together various parts mm -hmm. is a great thing for everybody. Yeah. And it ties to, I guess, the combination of problems. One is affordability and the other is transferability, the ability to move stuff around. You know, folks tend to think, I tend to think that markets are not inefficient, but they frequently are. And they're not user-centered to the point we're making before. And especially if you start thinking about the TikTok generation, the Fortnite generation, who just expects everything to work and to just be available through their phones. It's a very different model in terms of what you're designing here. Do you have any thoughts on those two ideas, affordability and then transferability of the experience? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about both. On the affordability side, it's interesting because I exist in a lot of rooms where the conversation is about who should pay the bill for higher education. So there's the discussion on loan forgiveness, there's the discussion on increasing the Pell fundamentals or options for all kinds of funding and allocations for underrepresented groups. But what I find is missing in those conversations very often is why is the bill so high in the first place? Right. And are we creating alternatives where the four-year on-campus experience is not right for everyone? Mm -hmm. So it's not right for a working parent 
adult learner, they can't step out of their lives for four or five years and go to school and right. then come back to their life. They have to do this at the same time. And so what are models that work for them? Mm -hmm. And what are the price points that can be possible if you start stripping out things like athletics and big buildings? Right. The lazy river problem. To the best of my knowledge, there's not an online lazy river yet. Correct? No. Unfortunately, because I think it might be fun if we could figure that out. But at this point, the option is to you take the course, the materials are all digital and included in your class. So your textbooks included mm -hmm. and you're able to do it anywhere from a Starbucks, from your house, from yeah. your lunch break at the office, which is just so different, even than the community college instance where individuals often could take night classes. But still, those classes were on a schedule and right. they required childcare, for example, for a, a student who was a parent. So I think it's really about creating options and accessibility that's in that affordable model, having so much of the dialogue be around the fact that the cost has gotten so high. And goodness, it is high. Having my a daughter who's a freshman in college, I'm writing a tuition check and really living this from a different angle. Yeah. But also thinking about what we're going to do to lower those costs for those who need it lowered. Right, right. And then transferability. Ooh, this is one that I hope the entire industry really starts making some faster movement on. The research around how many credits a student loses when transferring are heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. We're all talking about how we want more students to graduate. You hear this number thrown around all the time. 39 million students in the U.S. have some college. Some college. And we aren't talking enough about what do you do for those students to make sure that you have considered competency-based learning, that you have transferred every credit that they have taught, that you're giving them credit for work experience or military experience, that you are thinking holistically about getting that student to the moment of degree. Mm -hmm. Because so often it goes the other way. When you see a school decline a student's Algebra 1 course, you have to think, but Algebra 1 is pretty standard. There's not a lot of subjectivity to math right. in the student experience. And so why would we deny a student who has successfully navigated another school's math class? Why would we not transfer that credit? And I think schools really need to stop and think through what their bigger goal is in those moments. Yeah, it's one of those places where I've heard more talk of the hidden curriculum and the idea that as a first-generation student, a non-traditional student, you don't necessarily pick up on the clues in terms of having that direct path to the job you want on the other end. I think now that awakening is starting to hit the world, but it's still not necessarily making the model widely accessible, at least in terms of the way people think about it. It relates a little bit to the digital divide and people's readiness, people's awareness of the value of going online. The adoption of MOOCs, for example, the majority of people who are taking advantage of the MOOCs, based on what I've read, are people who probably could have gotten that education in other ways. What's interesting now, though, is particularly since the pandemic, there's been more of an awakening of the importance of digital access and digital inclusion. And now more folks who maybe would have thought the only path is through a physical community college are now starting to realize, oh, there are other models out there. Can you talk about how that awakening has been unfolding and how it relates to what you're doing at Schraderline? 
Well, I think it just makes it where many more students see the opportunity that is available and they start experimenting with lots of different ways to create their own pathway. I think now even the employer market is getting in this conversation about if we're doing better student advising and we were helping students pick their courses in the right order to be able to earn and learn at the same time. So mm. they're moving up through their career because those courses are the exact courses they need to be eligible for a first job or an advancing job, then you are starting to be more effective and efficient for the learner, a pathway to the degree possibly, or a certificate, certification, other need in their career field, and not losing time for that student or money. Mm -hmm. What is tough is to see a student who starts the first time and wants to power through a degree program, but doesn't know what the classes are that will help them first. Right. So is art history going to be, you know, the first class that they need in order to step into their career? Or are there places where a certain set of accounting classes will get them into a first business job? Right. Or in our early education programs where the individual can move through daycare classrooms to preschool classrooms to adding up their credit for a K-12 teaching certification and often also covering their continuing education requirements. Mm -hmm. If they take those classes in the right order and are providing them back to their employer, they can mm -hmm. be moving up in their salary as well as their position and still making progress along their pathway. Right. And then the skills that folks need, you mentioned some interesting ones there. And as a parent of a four-year-old, I was leaning in when you were talking about the early childhood education piece of it. The other space that's rapidly being disrupted is technology jobs and IT certifications and skills gaps. Since the model that you're describing is leaner and more responsive, I would imagine, to major shifts. You know, I haven't talked about ChatGPT until now, which <laughs> is pretty good for me. But any thoughts on the skills disruptions and the more technical side of the equation where I would imagine Straighter Line has a role to play in those contexts as well? Absolutely. So across this past year, what Straighter Line's been doing is taking that model that had the general education courses for college and been expanding the content on the platform. Because the platform already exists. The academic faculty that is able to create these courses and to make sure that they meet the rigor and standards of the ACE recommendation for credit process, they can create and add any content to that platform that's needed by the immediate job market. And so Straighter Line, which is this heavily mission-driven organization, and I think this is one of those things that people forget about for-profit education organizations, many of them. You can, when you're up and around them, you'll really feel the mission-driven effort of it. And the straighter line is certainly true. And so what we've done is really look at the places where there's the biggest skill worker gap. Mm -hmm. So mentioning education, that was the a big acquisition we did this year. We brought together straighter line and CEI, which is the Child Care Education Institute, in order to bring the classes that help an individual be employed in those daycare and preschool classrooms and to get their CDA mm. from this same online affordable, flexible model and stack those right into a degree program if they wish is really, I think, the direction of the future. These aren't two different populations. They're one. 
So education is certainly one. We talk a lot about how a $250,000 degree is a poor ROI for a $30,000 a year third grade teaching job. Yeah. So how can we make that a more affordable career option for individuals yeah. so more teachers will select in? While also paying teachers more. Absolutely. Pay them so much more. Are you kidding? <laughs> I am so pro-teacher since they take care of my kids all day long. And then another is the healthcare industry. So the nursing shortage. In Straighter Line, more than 40% of our students who come through self-describe as wanting to be on a healthcare pathway or mm. are taking mm. prerequisites for a nursing program. Right. And this is one of those places, again, ROI low, skill worker gap high. And we've got the opportunity to speed through helping get more people yeah. workforce ready. And then to some of the industries that you're talking about, two of the others we really see is one in cyber and IT. How can we make more software developers faster without waiting four or five years for them? Right. And then it's somewhat in the business skills space. So individuals who are really ready to take on the modern day business workforce roles. And so I think those are all places that we have opportunities. We're working on them at Straighter Line to bring them together either through acquisition or partnership, or building the courses ourselves and presenting them back to the students to kind of keep them moving through the process as quickly as they can. Yeah, for me, I, I always come back to the idea out of hospitality of the concierge, someone who can help me navigate the complexity that's out there. And then the related idea when you mentioned stackability is the idea of like, where is my learning record book? Just like I have a wallet, you know, and I have a digital version of that. Where's my learning records that I own uh -huh. digitally? And I can just show that passport. People know immediately what's going on with me. You know, we're getting into the future casting part of the conversation, but as someone who's also worked in other sectors like finance, any thoughts on ways in which there's a real misalignment here and some opportunity to provide that higher touch service. Cause it does feel like it's a little bit overwhelming when you start having to piece this stuff together and you may not be the most organized person to begin with. Well, and you think about the population too, it very often is one that's torn between a lot of responsibilities, you know, that working parent adult mm -hmm. learner. This isn't a person who's just endless amounts of time to figure yeah. out an otherwise fairly difficult industry. One of the things Straighter Line does to try to make it easier is we have 160 direct articulation agreements with universities, which means we can tell the student upfront definitively mm -hmm. that that class transfers to that school, yeah. which just saves everyone time and energy. And I'd love to have 2,000 of those. You know, Straighter Line classes have been accepted at more than 3,000 universities. So I'm bullish on their transferability. But if we can just cut out any level of uncertainty or application process for the student, I think yeah. you make it easier for everyone. In the space of the comprehensive learner record, you know, I spent some time, in fact, when I was in Austin with Territorium, which is working on this problem, I really believe just like our health records, our medical records, we should get to a place that there are just standardized methods to pass along and add to a student's evolving portfolio. And that should include everything from their military experience and jobs they've had and courses they've taken and skills that they have been verified. So that as hiring managers on the other side, we're really able to evaluate the whole person and all the experiences they've had in one consistent 
opportunity. It'll all be running on the blockchain using AI. <laughs> I mean, it's all going to happen. We're on our way there. I mean, think well, about yeah. that compared to current day transcripts. We still ask schools for transcript, which the vast majority of then print, stamp, and mail right. in the mail a transcript. I, I mean, surely there's a faster, better way. Absolutely. And then at the same time, on the other end, when you get that job, it's not like your education stops. And that's the other space that I'd like to get a little bit of your thinking on is the nature of learning while you work and, you know, lifelong learning. The 60 year curriculum is the other term that's out there where best case you get folks at the beginning of their journey, they get the credentials, the certifications they need to clear that first hurdle. But the relationship to education really needs to continue throughout our lives. Thoughts on on that and maybe how that relates to what you're doing with Schrader Line? Well, I think that, first of all, we need to think a lot less about there being an upfront degree granting program that makes you somehow job worthy. And then for the rest of your life, you have to sort of been deemed ready. Yeah. It is a continuous effort to upgrade your skills and your positioning with the changing needs of the workforce. So I think this is where the employers and those that are trying to educate have to do a much better job of cross-communicating the skills that are needed and how the educators can validate those skills. There are many opportunities in the market, so many that I think hiring managers, recruiters are overwhelmed by the names of these organizations, by what a different certificate or class or credential means. And if we can standardize to some degree on skills mm. and help a person validate that they have those skills, whether they earn them somehow on the job, depending on apprenticeships and various models that Europe seems to be doing much better with than we are, yeah, or whether they're in a classroom taught setting where not the course name isn't what's evaluated, but what's in the syllabus, what's in the actual curriculum is evaluated. I think we would be doing a better job of matching needs to skills and helping people be more efficient in their pathway of seeing what individual might be right for that job. But we're going to have to do a much, much better job of the communication between the employer market and the educator market, which I think just for much too long, especially when you think of that four-year traditional higher education degree, were they thinking at all about the employer who was going to pick you up on the other end? Mm -hmm. I certainly, you know, most of my degrees are in the liberal arts field, and I have to imagine that my job today and those are not perfectly aligned. Right. Although you did probably learn some critical thinking and other durable skills while pursuing the liberal arts degree. What about the durable skills side of the equation? You mentioned business skills. Sometimes that's also picking up on things like communication, creativity, critical thinking. Any thoughts on how those are either built into specific parts of your curriculum or how they're part of everything that you do? I'd be curious how you think about that. Well, I think that it's where, luckily, my academic counterparts really get into the thinking behind instructional design and what the courses are and what they need to include going forward. So the evolution, even when I see courses that Straighter Line created 13 years ago versus what they're creating today, a very different interactive learning model mm -hmm. uh, to test for understanding and comprehension and cumulative learning across the path. 
rather than, say, a one-time large high-stakes exam at the end. So for mm. me, for example, some of my college credits came from AP exams. They still very much exist. Yeah. But that is a multi-hour high-stakes opportunity to prove that you know sometimes a year's-long worth of information versus mm -hmm. something that's more credible. So I think that just rethinking how we teach and how we test for comprehension is important. I think that that's going to be very true in some of the technologies you just mentioned, you know, with the chat GPT opportunities, like how are we going to make sure that we're teaching students to think? Mm -hmm. And there are going to be the AI opportunities to do a lot of it for you. Right. And yet we're going to need a lot of people who understand AI technology to work in AI technology. And so this isn't an either or, it's a how do we bring together the evolving skills of the workforce with the way we teach and what we teach mm -hmm. in those durable skills. All of it, I think, around critical thinking. You know, mm -hmm. we have to make sure that individuals can apply thinking skills in any field of study or work. Yeah. Flexibility of thought, avoiding rigidity, leaning into the new, which is something that can be challenging at any point in your life. Certainly, as you approach your middle years, it's something I'm noticing more. We're approaching our conclusion here. It's been amazing talking with Heather Combs today from Straighter Line. It's straighterline.com. Heather, as we're wrapping up here, I always like to give guests opportunity for closing remarks. You can reiterate anything we were talking about thus far. Also, if there's anything we haven't gotten to that you wanted to make sure we got in. Thanks again for joining, but I'd love to hear some concluding thoughts. In that vein, I think that one of the places to make sure that our students know that we're building with them in mind. So Straighterline aspires to be entirely student-centric. So we want to hear from you and we want to work for you and we want to help make college affordable and accessible really on your own time to empower students to take control of their lives. So we're certainly out there. We are working hard on a relaunch this summer of the full platform experience and the website, modernizing as this technology that we've talked about today continues to change. To try to make it even easier and more user-friendly than we are today. That's our origins and we need to keep up with it. I also am eager to partner with like-minded companies. I really come at this industry with the belief that there are more individuals that need education and skills training than there are opportunities. So there's room for all of the models at the table and for putting together lots of opportunity. And so when Partnering with another organization brings forward those options for the student. I'm all for it. I don't think this is the kind of industry that you want competition to kill off great ideas. I think it's very much the opposite. Let's try as many ways as we possibly can to help students succeed. Awesome. It takes a village. It takes partnerships. It takes creative thinking. Thank you, Heather, for joining us on today's show. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Can't wait to do it again. Awesome. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.